I was reading a story in a commentary this week about a young pastor. He was struggling for a message. He didn't know what to preach on. So he thought he was going to preach on one thing, and he studied it out. And all of a sudden, he, at the last minute, decided he was going to switch. So he had two messages. The Sunday before he was going to speak, he got up, and he was in his office just praying, Lord, I hope I did the right thing. I, maybe I should have preached on this, and you should have used this passage. All of a sudden, a man came and knocked on his door. It was the head of the board of elders. And he said, I just wanted you to know, Pastor, that Dr. Stephen Olford wandered into the congregation today. Now, if you don't know who Stephen Olford is, he was one of Monroe's uh, heroes. He was a master alliterative homiletician. Homiletics is a science in preaching that they teach you to help people remember things. And Olford could alliterate the alphabet. He could make A and Z come together somehow. He's just a master at it. He said, Dr. Olford is in the congregation, and not only him, but somebody else, and it was a famous preacher. And the pastor said, great, <laughs> great. But he said he went out, and God blessed, and the reason I tell you that story is because I was going to preach on Hebrews chapter 12 today. But in the midst of my study, God kept pushing me to another passage. And so finally about Thursday, I said, Lord, if I wake up Friday morning and you put this other passage on my heart to share, then I will break the mold of having to preach through a section and I'll go to that text. Well, guess what? Friday morning, God changed my mind. So this morning, I'm going to speak to you about the subject of hope. And if my PowerPoint slide comes up, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Now, I'm going to go to two other passages, so you may want to take your finger if you have a hard time finding them, and find Romans chapter 8, and also find 1 Peter chapter 1. Those are the three passages I'm going to go to today as I speak to you about the subject of hope. Now, last week we talked about faith. This week we're going to talk about hope. And next week we're going to talk about, guys, don't forget it. There you go. I just reminded you, Valentine's Day is next Monday. We're going to talk about love. But what is biblical love? And it'll be a little bit different than mushy, romantic love. But nevertheless, hope is anticipation for what God will do. What did we say faith was? Basically, faith was taking God at his word that he would do what he said. Hope is anticipation for believing that God will do what he said. One man said that hope is to the body what breath is to the lungs. I mean, you anticipate the next breath, I hope, don't you? And it gives you motivation. I'm, I'm going to breathe. So that's what hope is to the Christian life, anticipation for what God will do. It enables us to get up, not give up. And so if I had to capsulize the message today, I would say this. Hope should be motivation for God's children, believers in Jesus. When we get knocked down, it should be motivation to get up and not give up because this is not the end of the story. We are just living waiting on, anticipating the end of the story. Now, when you think about this, Scripture warns us many times about putting our hope in or our trust in things that aren't what God says. 
In the Psalms, for example, Jeremiah, Hosea, Isaiah were reminded not to trust in our riches. Do not trust in idols. We're told not to trust in military power or might. We're told not to trust in politicians. That's another phrase for princes back in the day. Or even human beings. Do not put your trust in man. Men will fail you. Women, I'm going to include you all too because I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sensitive to gender now. Men and women will fail you. God never will. To hope in the Bible is to firmly place your trust in what God says. It's not an, oh, I hope so, but rather, I hope so because he said so. Or I like to say, I know so because he said so. So, what are the sources of a believer's hope? I'm just firing off here this morning. You're saying, good, he'll get done quick. What are the sources of a believer's hope? First of all, it's based in God's faithfulness. Now, if we don't know who God is, we don't understand God's faithfulness, we've never read his track history in the Old Testament, that every time God said he would do something, guess what he did? He did it. And one of our neglects and one of the problems in the Christian life is we do not read the Old Testament. We neglect it because we get into places like Leviticus and we don't understand what all that means about doing this and doing that and all these little minute things. I always explain to people when they talk to me about Leviticus, I always say this is how you get through Leviticus. God is going to live as Israel's neighbor. He's going to tabernacle among them and this is what they are to do when God is their neighbor. Don't use the bathroom inside the courtyard. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why? Because God's living in your midst. So read Leviticus like it will help you. But when God said he would do something, he always did it. He has a track record. Another source of our faithfulness is trusting Christ as our Savior. That's like the number one source. Then we have something living inside of us, someone called the Holy Spirit. Actually, the Bible says that all three members of the Godhead live inside of us, Father, Son, and Spirit, through the indwelling ministry that Christ made possible when we trust Him as Savior. Our hope also comes from remembering all that God has done for us. He is faithful, folks, even in the midst of pain. And it grows when we reflect upon the promises of Christ. These are just some general things. Now, what do we do as we go about our Christian life and we live in a world of hopelessness? You know, have y'all watched the news? I mean, everybody saw the shooting that happened. By the way, we just drove right through the middle of that maybe an hour before it happened. We went to Buffalo Wild Wings on Friday night after a boys' ball game. By the way, you did a good job, young man. You played hard. And had to wait forever. Drove through the middle of town there and all the drunk students out in the middle of the road. I was, you know, kind of, good gracious, alive, dodging everybody. I, I don't get out at night too late. But it was packed that night. Got home. Woke up the next morning. Boom. There's a headline. Never know what happens, do you? Never know. You watch the news. What do you see? Russia's about ready to invade Ukraine. China is planning and plotting a world takeover. I mean, is that where you're going to find your source of hope? Or where are you going to watch, NBC? How about CNN? And then you find out that the head man at CNN has been sleeping with a lady for 20 years while talking about everybody. I mean, 
Is that where we're going to find our hope? We don't find our hope there. We certainly don't find it in politicians. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican. You're not going to find your hope there because they're going to let you down and it's never going to be satisfied. So where do we find our hope and how do we live it in the midst of a hopeless world? Well, here are some things we can do. We can remember that, yes, we are living in a fallen world. We have calamity. We have suffering because of sin. Second of all, we can remember that even though there's suffering and sin... God is using every bit of it to expose his character and his goodness and that one day he will triumph. We can also remember that every occurrence of hopelessness in our world or in our life is another opportunity for us to grin and bear it. We can smile and we can push through it. And we also have to remember that God always, always keeps these promises. So that is just an introduction into today's message as I get ready to get into the text. This was going to be this week's sermon, but I won't bore you with that. You can go back and look at it on the screen and pause it if you want to see it. But what I want to talk to you today is why should a believer live out hope in a hopeless world? Why should we? Can you answer that question? Somebody do it. Carl, Carl made you interact this morning. <laughs> why should a believer live out hope in a hopeless world? Go ahead. Fire away. Our hope is in Jesus. Why else? It's, it's what? Because this is not our home yet. We're not there yet. Good. What else? What was that? We are a light to other people in the midst of it. Perfect. What else? Somebody else said something. Okay, same, same basically principle there. We're living out hope. So those are some reasons. What I want to do is give you three principles. Three principles that will help you live out hope in the midst of a hopeless world right from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So I hope you've turned there because we're going to look at these three principles today. Principle number one, we have to learn that God is able to turn our weakness into power. Our weakness into power. Your finger is looking at the text and you're going to take it and you're going to stick it right on verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 4. And this is what it reads. But we have this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? We have this treasure in jars of clay. Let me just summarize. He's basically saying that every believer has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And as we look at Jesus and look at his character and his word and what he does for our life, guess what happens to us? What happens when you go out and sit in the sun? You know, everybody goes to the ocean, the coast. You know, believers don't go to the beach, right? As one of our theology professors said, believers don't go to the beach, we go to the coast. That's more spiritual. But when you go out, what do you do while you're on the coast? Well, don't lie. You, you get in your bathing suit and hope nobody from church is around, right? And you go out and you lay in the sun. Why do you do that? I don't either. I have no clue. I, I don't even know why people go to the ocean. All that sand gets down your shore. I mean, but nevertheless, I, I got... Listen, I got some witnesses here today. I got 
We go out into the sun so that we take its rays and it reflects. And what does it do to our complexion? It makes us more like. It darkens us, tans us. In the same way, Paul says, we have this treasure, the fact that the Spirit lives inside of us and the more we look at Jesus day by day, the more we become like him. We have this treasure of becoming more like Jesus in a jar of clay. You know, there's a Christian group called the Jars of Clay. Uh, I don't, can't tell you what their music is. I just knew that their name was Jars of Clay, and I knew where they got this from. But here is the point. Paul says, God has put something inside of a weak vessel that you, don't even, you can't even see how powerful it is. God takes our weak vessels, our bodies, and living inside our body, those of us who know Christ as Savior, lives the Holy Spirit who's doing a ministry inside of us that's making us more and more like Jesus every day. Now, have you ever looked in the mirror? I mean, get up in the morning, go stand and stare in the mirror for just a moment and go, Woo, wow, gray, hair falling out wrinkles, spots. We'll just talk about the face. We won't go down, right? I mean, because it just happens. You you all have heard the old man man disease, the furniture disease. Guys, y'all heard of that? It happens to men. It's where your chest drops down in your drawers. I mean, it's just a part of life. But when you sit there and look at your face and your complexion in the mirror, it's hard when you look at the outside to see that no matter what the outside looks like, our inside is being renewed day by day. I think about an older widow lady in her 80s who was sitting down on the side of a little place in Giles County, the most powerful Christian woman I've ever met. She could pray and it would move mountains, folks, I'm telling you. But to look at her frailty, you'd never think that. What power was inside her jar of clay? Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay for a purpose. Here is the purpose. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I'm going to put it on the screen for some of y'all because I see you're not looking at your Bible, so I'm going to be nice. Here it is. We have this treasure in jars of clay to to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. I mean, stop for a minute. We read over that way too fast. The whole analogy I was telling you about, about the weakness of our flesh, God chose to put His Holy Spirit in our life, in our body, and our weakness and our frailty, He did that for one reason, that as we grow older, and the more we're dedicated to know Him, He gets the glory for it. That's why He put this power, this treasure, in a jar of clay. So that when our bodies fail, the Spirit of God increases, and God gets the glory. The surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Listen to how Paul explains this. We are afflicted in every way but we're not crushed. 
We are perplexed. This word has to do with the fact of emotional anxiety. We are just, we're bewildered. But we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted. But in the midst of our persecution, we are not forsaken. We are struck down. But we are not destroyed. And then Paul makes this statement, which he also says again in Galatians chapter 6, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. What does he mean by that? Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That little phrase there that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. What does he mean? I'm going to let you study that. I can tell by your faces that's perplexing you. If you go back up in chapter 3, you'll find the answer, but don't do it right now. Always carry. What Paul's saying is this. He was being persecuted for being a Christian. And he was basically enduring the same thing that Jesus would have endured if he had been there. Paul was living out his life in the same way Jesus would have lived his life on the earth. And when people persecuted him and they drove him to despair and they tried to crush him, he says this is the same thing they would have done to Jesus. I'm carrying about in my body everything they would have done to my Lord. He says that in another place as well in Colossians. He says, I am filling up in my body what is lacking in Christ. What did he mean by that? That's another phrase. He meant the same thing, that if Jesus were here on the earth, he would be undergoing the same thing Paul was going. And Paul was undergoing this persecution because he was a believer, living for Christ in this world. God is able to turn our weakness into his power. But there is another Paul goes on to say, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, apostles, but life is at work in you, believers. We in our life, Paul says, are being killed, stoned, and so forth, but we're able to share this message of hope and encouragement with you Corinthian believers, and guess what happens? You hear it, you're encouraged, and then you go out and live for Jesus. You know why? Because when you feel weak, you know God can take that and turn it into His power. Now let me give you an illustration. Sharon Farrell, there's Paul back in the back. Hi, Paul. Sharon's going through cancer treatment. They have told us how grateful they are that you all reach out to them and pray for her and send her messages. She actually told me in the park a lot one day that the encouragement of the church has carried her through this. You know, cancer treatments are terrible. I watched my father go through them for years. Terrible. They have a way of dragging your flesh all the way to the point of death, hoping you can hang on enough to just survive another day. That's, that's what cancer treatments do. It so attacks the cancer in the body, it destroys everything. It just drags you down. But do you know what happens when a person gets beat down that low? If there is a living hope inside them, they see beyond that, 
And they're able to be encouraged and say, this is not it. This is not what I am living for. And they are able to push through. That's exactly what Paul says. God is able to take us in our weakness and let his power be made manifest through us, living through our life. If you've ever been around someone who's lost a loved one, and somehow or another the grace of God reaches down to that person and they're able to express hope, folks, that is not them. That is God living in them. If you've ever talked to someone who's went through a tragedy in life and somehow or another in due time they're able to speak as if there were God was working through that problem to give them hope, that is how God turns weakness into power. It's Him working inside of our frail, broken bodies to give hope to people. That's principle number one. Here's principle number two. God will turn our suffering into glory. Now, I can say that, but do you actually believe that? Do you believe that God is going to turn our suffering for Christ our anguish for Christ, our rejection for Christ, do you think He's actually going to turn that into glory? Do you? As a, oh, good. Amen. I've got one. Chris, thank you. I've, I've got one here. Now, now listen. God will turn our suffering into glory. As a matter of fact, this is a theme you could trace throughout the whole New Testament. Paul says in 2 Timothy... That if we suffer with Him, we will reign with Him. That's why we always say, folks, as a believer, when somebody persecutes you for Jesus, happy, blessed are you because great is your reward. Great is your reward in heaven. Let them pour it on. The more they pour it on, the better for you. Now, that doesn't make sense in this world, does it? But you know... There's a lot of things in the Christian life that don't make sense in this world. But nevertheless, that's truth. So, what does Paul mean by God will turn suffering into glory? Well, let me read this first part of the passage. Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, you know, I believe and therefore I spoke, we apostles also believe and we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Now, do you believe in the resurrection? I mean, is that what we're living for? You say, well, yeah, but I, don't, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, well, I haven't either. But it motivates me. You know, we're talking about hope. What does Paul referred to as the believer's blessed hope. You know, there's all kinds of hope. God is a God of hope. He's the, God, he's the hope of Israel. We have a living hope living inside of us, and we're looking for the blessed hope that is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our blessed hope. Paul says here, knowing that He who raised Jesus will we'll raise us also with Jesus. You ought to circle it in your Bible and write down 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 through 58. The two passages that talk about He's going to raise us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, He'll turn this vile body, or that is this weak body, into a body like His glorious Son. 
We are, we are living for the resurrection. And in that day, our weakness and our flesh will be all of a sudden be turned into glory. Because God is able to do that. He's able, and He will do that. Now, Paul says it is for, you, for all your sake, so that it, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's a sermon in itself, but basically what he's saying is, as we suffer, we're able to get the message out to other people, and when other people hear it and believe, whenever he raises us into glory, there's going to be more people to give praise to God the Father throughout eternity. So for that, we give thanks, Paul says. But he also mentions in Romans chapter 8, and that's where I want to go to. Romans chapter 8. I thought I put it on the screen, but maybe I didn't. But as we think about this concept, uh, the second concept there, turning suffering, suffering into glory, you need to turn to Romans 8 because you've got to see this. Don't, don't just take my word. You've got to turn there. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse 16. Okay, in this section, Paul's talking about the ministry of the Spirit and of hope. Listen to what he says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I mean, inside the believer is this ongoing dialogue, you belong to me. You belong to me. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now stop. We have the Spirit live inside of us telling us we're children of God. And if we're children, as all children are, they're heirs of their parents. What does that mean to be an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Now, I'm going to help you with a little bit of law here. An heir is someone who has full rights and privileges and inherits everything that comes from the Father. A joint heir is someone who shares that with another person on equal terms. Now, are, are y'all following me here? I mean, we're sitting in an attorney's office and we're, we're hearing the, the wheel here. And this is what happens during this will. Paul says, you have the Spirit living in you to let you know that you are a child of God. Not only that, there's something in addition to that. You're also a joint heir with Jesus. In other words, everything that he is entitled to, you get as well. I'm not making this up. I'm reading to you what the text says. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, provided... Y'all look down at the text now. Provided that we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Christian, don't ever be afraid of suffering. It brings you great reward. You can have hope in the middle of your suffering knowing that God is going to turn your suffering into glory. Now I'm going to go on. For Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Whatever you're going through right now, and by the way, Paul during this time was suffering pretty bad. He says, I don't even think that the suffering of this present is even worth to be compared to. 
Now I'm going to give you an illustration, he says, about creation. Everybody thinks creation's beautiful. We love to go and look at it and say, oh, you know, I always tell the story about being in creation one day. I was out hunting, sitting up in a tree stand thinking, oh, what a beautiful morning. The sun rays were shining through, you know, through the trees. And I was just sitting up there waiting on a nice deer to come and just admiring creation. All of a sudden, a little squirrel came out and climbed on a limb. He was just sitting there with his tail, you know, eating his nut, minding his own business. I thought, wow, that's beautiful. All of a sudden, here comes a hawk and hits that squirrel. And where the sun was shining, you could see the hair come up off that squirrel. I mean, it was just like, I wish I'd had it in video. He gets the squirrel down and he mauls that thing. And they're both fighting down the ground. And he, he's sitting there eating him. I was like, well, that's a picture of creation right there, buddy. (laughs) That's what happens. Listen to what Paul says. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It will not experience redemption until we do. The dog will not love the cat until we are turned into resurrected, redeemed bodies. The lamb will not be able to lay down beside the lion until our resurrection. But Paul says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That is, when Adam sinned, what did God do to the creation? Thorns, thistles, bushes, animals eating animals and so forth. But it it was subjected, notice the text, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's going to happen. Trees will no longer die. I mean, I don't want to get into all this, but here's the point. Creation has hope. If creation has hope, shouldn't a child of God? Now look what Paul says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, that is, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, when we don't have patience, are y'all following me? When we don't have patience and we think, oh God, I don't know if I can believe this or not. Why would you let this happen to me? Oh God, why? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought when we're in the midst of suffering and turmoil waiting for our suffering to be turned into glory. We don't know what to pray, but thank God for the Spirit who lives inside of us, who makes us heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, because the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we as God's children don't even know how to pray, the Spirit prays for us. And He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Even, and especially, I should say, in the midst of pain and suffering. 
And now notice the context. And we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And a lot of that will be accomplished through suffering. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. And by the way, all those are in the past tense. I'll talk about that sometime. Now, in light of that, in our suffering, what then shall we say to these things? Well, what are you going to say? I'm a believer. I'm suffering. I haven't seen my glory yet, but I'm hoping and I'm waiting for it, believing that God's going to turn my suffering into glory. What, what should we say to these things? Well, here's what we can say. If God is for us, who can be against us? Anybody want to put forth a witness? The devil? How about the devil? The de- That's God's devil. He's on a leash. He can't go any further than God lets him. Demons? They're on God's leash. They can't go any further than He lets them. People? I mean, you say, well, I've got this person against me. So? So? If God is for us, who cares who's against us? Notice what He goes on to say. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? I mean, we already know we're an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ. You think God's going to actually withhold that from His children? Well, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, can y'all answer that? Nobody. It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, here we go. Christian, you ready? Shall tribulation... Shall trouble in your life separate you from God? God doesn't love me because there's trouble in my life. Uh Uh-uh. No, no, no. Don't say that. Shall tribulation? Nope. Shall distress. What is distress? Anxiety. Depression. Pulled apart. Nope. How about persecution? How about starvation? How about poverty? Nakedness. How about danger? Or how about death? Sword. Paul says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In all of those things, we are more than conquerors. Not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You're an heir. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, angels, or rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, and in case I miss something, Paul says, anything else in all of creation will not be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know why? Because God's going to turn our suffering into glory, and He puts His name on it. And I want you to hear me something, folks. Hear me close. If God doesn't do what He said, He is not God. And are you willing to say that about Him? I'm not. God has always done what He said He would do, and He will do exactly what He says. Now, the third principle, which you've been staring at for a while, this is the best one. 
Oh, I read this up in my study this week, and I mean the glory cloud came around me. And I thought to myself, Lord, I, ho I hope I can radiate what you have just done in my life to your people. I mean, folks, you're talking about riches. This is like digging and finding a bar of gold. Listen to what the apostle says here. We must remember that our suffering in this life is momentary. Our glory is eternal. Look what Paul says in chapter 4, starting in verse 16. You know, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We don't lose heart in suffering. Have you lost heart this morning? I wish I could tell you some things, but I can't. Life can cause you to lose heart. Don't you lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Did you all see that? Say, well, no, you didn't put it on the screen. Okay, I will. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away because of trouble and persecution and old age, if you want to add that in there. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Christian, are you listening? How often do you need to be renewed? Don't say Sunday to Sunday. You need to be renewed day by day. That's, that's how we need encouragement, day by day. Get in God's Word. Read it. Pray. Call a believer if you're struggling, need help. For this light momentary affliction. Have you ever read 2 Corinthians? You know where Paul was? That man had been beaten, stoned, rejected, cast away, put on trial, lied about, cheated on, beaten. Listen to what he says. All for Jesus, by the way. This light, momentary affliction. In other words, this world can do whatever it wants to me. It's only light, and it's only momentary. Because you know why? All of that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And that glory is beyond all comparison. Can I give you some hope today? You say, well, life has been terrible to me. Listen to me, believer. Don't you give up hope. Because God is taking your life and the crushing of your life, and He's going to take that one day, and He's going to reverse that. And according to God's holy word, it's going to be an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison of this light momentary affliction. He goes on to say, as we look, here's the key, not as we look at the problem, not as we look at other people, 
Not as we compare ourselves with other people and their problems. One, no, 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 no. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The hope of His promise. That's what we stare at. We look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They only last a little while. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, what are the three contrasts in this passage? Three contrasts. What does he say here? Outer self wasting away, inner self being renewed. The time frame. Light momentary affliction, eternal weight of glory. 18, things that are seen versus things that are unseen. You know, the Christian doesn't focus on what is seen here. We focus on what is unseen and promised in the future. And folks, listen to me. That's where our hope lies. God is going to do the great reversal. Do we believe Him that He'll do that? Now, just one more passage of great encouragement. Because we're talking about hope. Did you know that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you? Numerous things happened. You become an heir of God, a joint heir of Christ. The Spirit lives in you. He's the down payment and the guarantee that you're going to have a resurrected body. But I want to tell you something. You're talking about riches. Listen to what Peter said about our living hope. Greg's going to sing about that here in a minute. So y'all better be awake. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us, I like to read that, to be born again. He caused it. You say, well, I'm the one who chose to believe. Well, He put it in your heart, brother. He caused us to be born again, not to a dead hope. Not to a lifeless hope. Peter says, to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Remember what I read to you in Romans 8 about being an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ? Are y'all listening? The legal document is being read again. To an inheritance that is imperishable. What does that mean? It can't perish. It'll never fade away. God will never wake up one more and say, you know what, I'm tired of giving them heirship. Nope. Imperishable. Undefiled. There will be no... There, there will be no tainting, no sin, no corruption. And it's unfading. You know, folks, you know like when your favorite team wins, like Duke beat Carolina last night. I know Christian was all happy about that. You know, that glory for a moment or two after the game, it fades. And another year comes around, and they'll play them again, and eventually they'll get beat. 
somewhere down the corridor of time. But that hope, that glory fades. But let me tell you something. The believer's hope, listen to what Peter said, unfading. It will, we will never get bored with God's inheritance. And it, you know, if you're a Christian this morning that thinks that all we're going to do is sit around on a cloud, floating around playing a harp, keep coming to Trinity and we'll educate you. That's not true. We will actually live upon a renewed earth that has no seas. Did you know that? And the city of God will be upon this new earth and we will see God Himself. And we throughout the future eternity after the thousand year millennial reign, that's the, that's the tailgate party to eternity future, we'll live on a new earth where we will roam, we will have freedom, we will have lives. Are you listening to me? We will live and there will never be death, tears, sadness, sin, destruction, deceit. I could go right down the line. There will never be the love of money, and thank God there will be no politicians. Not a one. Not a one. And there will be no corrupt news media or anything else. It's going to be an eternal heaven on earth. And it'll never make us bored. We'll never be bored. True or false, the believer will live in heaven forever. Better say false. Because we'll live on the new earth. Heaven will come to earth. Then Jesus' prayer will be answered. What did he pray? What's the Lord's prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your, your kingdom come and your will be done. What? That's not just spiritually. Make me love my neighbor, Lord. No. Your kingdom come. You be the king that rules and reigns upon this earth. And he's going to do it. Because he said he would in his word. Unfading. We won't get bored with it. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power, you, you, who by God's power are being, military term here, guarded through your faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed. Let me read it this way, in God's time. But until then, believer, live in hope. Quick little story about a man named Hudson Taylor. Oh, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't pass this. In this hope you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hang in there. Don't give up. Get up. Now, Hudson Taylor, missionary to inland China, suffered. He went over there wanting to take the gospel. He was a medical doctor, by the way. His wife died. None of his children lived past ten. Hudson Taylor suffered to reach the Chinese people. Listen to what he wrote. 
He said, I am often sick in body as well as perplexed in mind and embarrassed by circumstances. Had not the Lord been specially gracious to me, had not my mind been sustained by the conviction that the work is His and that He is with me in what is no empty figure to call the thick of the conflict, I must have fainted and broken down. But Taylor knew that God was with him. Hudson Taylor died and went to his grave, and his daughter-in-law wrote something about him. Listen to what she wrote as she compiled all of his writings. This was fascinating. She said, It was not until many years later, when Mr. Taylor could look back over all the way in which the Lord had led him, that he was impressed with the fact that every important advance in the development of the mission had sprung from or been directly connected with times of sickness or suffering which had cast him in a special way upon God. You in pain? You in trials? Put your hope in God because He works the same way in us. Something good is coming. Don't give up hope. Father, thank You that You are the God of hope. And You've given the children of hope a living hope in which we can look to and long for and anticipate with great anticipation. You never break Your Word. You always keep Your promise. Thank You that You love Your children. You always want what's best for us. Father, when we are downcast, lift our face. When our knees are weak, strengthen our bones. When our spirit is about to break, breathe in us new life. Help us, Father, to live for You, suffer for You, and ultimately to be prepared to reign with You one day. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for what He did on the cross for our sin. Thank You for the Spirit who lives inside of us to encourage and motivate us. And help us, Father, to never be ashamed of suffering for You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.